Welcome back to another episode of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jimmy O. It's me, Len Testa. And today we have a very special bonus episode of the Disney Dish. This one is part of our Unbuilt Epcot Ideas series over at DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com. The notes of Hollywood producer Joseph Mankiewicz. Now, Len and I typically don't do this. We don't cross the streams. We put our Disney Dish podcast up online for the general public to enjoy. And as for our Bandcamp exclusive shows, well, those are typically reserved for subscribers. Folks are willing to pay a little extra for some extra special content. But as for this American Adventure show, which, by the way, keys off of a script for that Epcot show that was written back in May of 1978. This is an early revised draft of that script, one that very few people outside of Walt Disney Imagineering have had a a chance to read, let alone hear performed. But this Bandcamp exclusive show is now one that we're making available to the general public, largely because of, of what Len and our editor, the amazing Aaron Adams, did to make the show happen. Can you talk a little bit about that, Len? This is the earliest known version of the American Adventure script that's available to the public. It's dated May 31st, 1978, which is four years and four months before Epcot opened. And we know there's at least one earlier version of the script because this one says revised dialogue at the top. So there may be just one more version. Uh, and we think there's a really good chance that whatever it is, though, it's close to this one. So, Jim, we're, uh, we're going to do this podcast over two episodes. In the first part, we're going to present the show as if it was being performed in the United States Pavilion. In the second part, we're going to analyze the show by comparing and contrasting this script with the final script that we know, plus the music and effects that we all got to see when Epcot opened in 1982. Now, we thought it was important to perform this script as a show with real actors, real music, and real effects for a couple of reasons. First, American Adventure is one of two central theses attractions at, at Epcot Center, the other being Spaceship Earth. And the United States is the host country of World Showcase, so we needed to treat this script seriously when a sense of importance it was going to have. And because the script is important as a part of history, and it was because it was supposed to be important to guests, then I believe that us just reading the script and playing the parts would not do it justice. Your reaction to the script is arguably the most critical part of the experience, and we couldn't do an apples to apples comparison of this script's emotional resonance with you if Len and I were just to read it to you. And that means we want you to tell us how this script makes you feel. Along with that, the original version of the script has music. We talked about that in a Bandcamp exclusive show for you, that we found the musical score at the Buddy Baker archives at NYU back in 2019. And so to do a fair comparison of the two scripts, we needed music for this one too. The good news is the earlier version of the script called out specific songs, and we were able to get the musical licenses for those for this show. Another reason we decided to perform the script is that we already know of at least one example where academic analysis done by reading a Disney script rather than hearing it performed resulted in a peer-reviewed paper drawing a conclusion that was exactly the opposite of the script's intended meaning. And for this, we have to thank Bethany Bemis from the Smithsonian's National Museum of American History, who's preparing an upcoming exhibit about Disney theme parks and the American experience in Washington, D.C. I don't know if we said this on the show, Jim, but Bethany asked us to look at a paper written by Dr. Lynn Weiner, uh, titled There's a Great Big Beautiful Tomorrow, Historic Memory and Gender in Walt Disney's Carousel of Progress. Because in this paper, Dr. Weiner quotes one of Sarah's lines from Carousel of Progress, where she says, yes, John, you're a genius. 
as an example of how that version of the script took a step backwards in portraying gender equality from previous versions of the script. So Sarah, Dr. Weiner thought, was praising John in that line. But if you listen to the performance, you realize Sarah was saying that sarcastically, yes, John, you're a genius, right? The words as they're spoken have the exact opposite meaning as when they're read. But you'd only know that if you heard the script, not just read it. And so I think Dr. Weiner read the script rather than listen to it for her paper. So for the American Adventure script we're doing here, we wanted to ensure we didn't misinterpret something. And the way not to misinterpret a written script is to perform the script out loud and see if it sounds right. It wouldn't be fair to the people at Disney who wrote the script or to the Disney people who wrote the final script if we did anything else. So that's what we're doing here. Speaking of sounding right, another thing we discovered in doing the script with professional actors is that the weight and message of some of the lines in the script definitely depends on how those lines are delivered. You have to decide which words in the sentence get emphasis and where to put dramatic pauses. For example, the sentence, let's eat, Grandma, means two totally different things depending on where you put the emphasis on eat or Grandma and whether or not there's a, a, a pause between them. Actually, clarifying. Let's, let's, eat let, let's eat grandma. Let's eat grandma. Let's eat grandma. You know, just just an example, and, and, and doesn't appear in the American Adventure script. At least, not the version we have. <laughs> I was going to ask whether we missed a, a critical line in the uh, Pilgrim's Winter scene over there. It might fit that, Jim. We can <laughs> it, we can put it, it in might. if you want to try it next time. But Jim's right. In uh, recording the script, uh, we, the actors, and the audio engineer and producer had to make a ton of decisions on how to say certain lines because emphasizing one word over another might change or diminish the meaning of the entire line. Also, in hearing the script read aloud, we realized that this version of the script probably had the sequence of many lines mixed up. They just didn't make sense the way that they sh they're shown in Joseph Mankiewicz's version when you hear them spoken. And we think there's at least one very important missing section of dialogue. We'll talk about all this on the next show as part of our critique and comparison of the script to the, the show we all know today. Finally, let's keep in mind this is an early draft of the show, just like Herman Melville's first draft of Moby Dick started out with, Howdy, I'm Ishmael. We're not going to judge this early draft of the American Adventure solely on its artistic quality. We're really interested in seeing what topics Disney brought up from the very beginning and what changed and didn't change as we moved into the final version. For now. Sit back and enjoy this, the earliest known version of Epcot's The American Adventure. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the American Adventure Theater. Please select a row and move all the way across. The theater has been designed so that every seat has a great view. A reminder that at the end of the show, you'll be leaving all the way to your left. Hello everyone, and welcome to the American Adventure. My name is Laurel. To preserve the dignity of our show, we ask that you refrain from the use of videotaping and flash photography. And now, Walt Disney World and Epcot Center proudly presents the American Adventure.
America has been settled by people of all nations. All nations may claim her for their own. We are not a narrow tribe of men. No, our blood is made up of many noble currents, all pouring into one. We are not a nation so much as a world. We are the pioneers of the world, the advance guard sent through the wilderness of untried things to break a new path. In our youth is our strength. In our inexperience, our wisdom. Welcome to the American Adventure. I'm Ben Franklin, a genuine American antique. Those fine words you just heard were written by Herman Melville, one of our great American writers. Indeed, he understood that we are a nation of immigrants set out on a great adventure. Like most great adventures, ours started with a dream. In this naive artist's vision, we see a peaceable kingdom where beasts and children and men all live together in harmony with their environment. If these were rose-colored glasses, I'd say it looked almost real. But these bifocals I invented make me see the world as it is. Yes, this scene is a dream world. But the men and women who settled America not only dreamed such dreams, they were willing to risk everything to make their dreams come true. The first to come were the Pilgrims, a band of Puritan separatists who were willing to hazard their very lives in a new land where they could live and worship according to their own beliefs, unfettered by the restrictions of the world. Aboard the Mayflower, they set sail with fresh September breezes, but soon they were brought face to face with dreadful perils. For weeks on end, they endured raging storms at sea. For a while, it seemed that they would be cast adrift. But at long last, they made their landfall off the coast of New England. Arriving at this strange new world, they were separated from the past by a vast ocean. They knew there could be no help from friends at home, nor could they be governed by the laws of the old world. And so, these pilgrims banded together to create a compact, agreeing to submit to their own laws. For this end, we must delight in each other, rejoice together, mourn together, and knit together as one man. We must keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. In that early Mayflower Compact, the Pilgrims opened the way towards untried areas of self-government, preparing for the America which was to come. And being Pilgrims, they gave thanks for their survival and his blessings.
The Pilgrims were but the forerunners of a new pioneering breed who came to America. Many more would follow, seeking that dream of a peaceable kingdom. For the freedom-hungry, the new continent held the promise of a better life. Dutch settlers came to the Hudson Valley. German Mennonites found refuge in Pennsylvania. Huguenots from France arrived, as did Irishmen, Scots, Swedes, all in ever-increasing numbers. They were hardy, independent men who cleared the forests and built settlements and homesteads. While their women toiled and spinned, making soap, candles, music, and civilization. In a short time, a distinctive American character began to emerge. Practical, yet idealistic. Ever ready to try new ideas and set out on a new adventure. Some say that no better example of the new American character ever lived than the young man who owns this printer's shop in Philadelphia. It would be immodest for me to praise him too much, for he happens to be me, young Ben Franklin. Still, there's no disputing the fact that he is industrious, inventive, inquisitive, and above all, public-spirited. No sooner had he finished one task than he takes up another. At the moment, he is busy printing his Poor Richard's Almanac, a book which will make him famous. In it, he records the proverbs that reveal the new American character. Diligence is the mother of good luck. What a well-spoken young man he is. Have you something to do tomorrow? Do it today. Splendid. Now Americans were learning other lessons which... Love your neighbor, but don't pull down your hedge. I fear the boy is too diligent. He has yet to learn that one is a fool who cannot conceal his own wisdom. However, he has learned that we Americans love our independent lives. Without the freedom of thought, there can be no such thing as wisdom, and no such thing as liberty without freedom of speech. Freedom! Liberty! These were the words which were on American lips as we struggled to become an independent nation. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature... Thus we declared our independence to the world, and with it our belief that all men are created equal, and that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. Life liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And so, we went off to fight for our cherished independence, knowing that brave words required brave deeds and sacrifice to become a reality.
ended and we had gained our precious freedom, Americans could once more pursue the dream. To the west, there lay a whole new land, another frontier to be opened. Now, the same traits which had served the pilgrims more than a hundred years before, idealism tempered by practicality and backed by a willingness to challenge the unknown, would be just as much needed in the century to come. But I leave it to a famous American of that 19th century to tell you what became of the dream and the spirit in his own time, Mr. Mark Twain. I'm happy to oblige, Doctor, and thank you for our independence. Say, I hope you don't mind if I smoke. I do love a good cigar. Of course, I wouldn't want you to think I'm a slave to tobacco. Why, giving up smoking is the easiest thing in the world to do. I ought to know. I've done it a thousand times. <laughs> but one thing Americans of my day couldn't give up easily was their love of freedom. In my lifetime, we fought a great civil war to ensure that freedom for all our people. Then, after that war between brothers ended, we had to begin a new adventure, that of binding our divided nation together again. Majestic mountains and vast deserts, separated east from west, and before the American dream could grow further, we had to literally join them together. Once again, a flood of immigrants came to help us strike out to try something that had never been done before. Against almost impossible odds, we managed to bind the country together from coast to coast with ribbons of steel. It was a great day when they drove that last spike. The way is open now, and it's full speed ahead. Come along and join the festivities. Welcome to the Philadelphia Centennial. This torch of liberty is part of that statue sent to us by the people of France. It's waiting to be assembled. This summer of 1876 is the hottest one in a hundred years, but it don't stop the crowds from coming to see the wonders here. Have you ever seen so many folks mingling together in one place? That's the great Corliss steam engine that runs this fair's machinery. It's operated by Miss Emma Allison of Ohio, a marvel in this age of marvels, both the machine and the lady engineer. That's the artistic triumph of the fair, a statue carved in sweet butter by a lady from Arkansas. Susan B. Anthony come to blaze a new trail with her Declaration of Rights for Women. By this 100th birthday, our pioneering spirit has brought us to another turning point. We have entered a new age of scientific marvels. Why, every day we have some new discovery. To give birth to an idea, to find a new planet, 
to invent a new hinge, to be the first, to do something, discover something before anyone else. That's our American dream now. But there's another side to things too. We're moving ahead at ever increasing speed. These new inventions are changing our American dream. We're leaving behind the simple life forever. Today it's get rich quick everywhere. I must say there's a lot of brass in this gilded age. It troubles me. Where's it leading us? Why size and wealth, they don't make a nation. What matters are the uses to which we put our lives. Truth is, I'd rather look back on my youth growing up on the Mississippi than I head to the new and noisy 20th century that's coming. So I'm going to let a fellow who had a few things to say about Americans in that time tell you about it. And by the way, his family connections go a long ways back in this country. Mr. Will Rogers. Well, howdy. I'm right pleased to have you join me in the new century. What Mr. Twain meant was that my folks was both part Cherokee, and I want you to know there ain't nothing I'm prouder of than my Indian blood. My ancestors didn't come over on the Mayflower, they met the boat. Now I was born on my family's ranch in the old Oklahoma Territory, and I arrived on election day. Naturally, this gave me an interest in politics, but people where I come from are used to looking at things square on. So. This helped me to be able to see the bunk in it all. Of course, I guess the truth can hurt you worse in an election than almost anything that can happen to you. And common sense is not an issue in politics. It's an affliction. <laughs> you know, the only thing Americans get tired of quicker than a new gadget is an old politician. Luckily for us, our system allows us to get a new model every four years. It's really something to watch those birds come in on promises because you know they'll go out on alibis. <laughs> Fortunately, this country ain't where it is on account of any one man. It's here on account of the great normal majority. Still, I've got a great fondness for politicians. <laughs> where would I be without them? I don't make up my jokes. All I know is what I read in the papers. I just watch the government and report the facts. I started to report American political follies from the stage of the Zigfield Follies. Americans work hard, but they like to play hard too. And the Follies gives them a good time, with feathers on it. It's sad to think that 20 years from now, they'll be five years older. <laughs> yes, the glamour of Broadway is part of the new American adventure because our cities are growing and folks are drawn by the bright lights and the opportunities for work and play. Now, it wasn't too long before the American dream moved to Hollywood 
where the new age of heroes and heroines appeared on the silver screen. Now I started in pictures way back when some of the big stars was just learning to get married. Back in them days, I was one of the romantic interests, but I only had two distinctions in the picture business. Ugliest man in them, and I wound up with the same wife I started out with. Some people ask, what is the salvation of the movies? I say, run them all backwards. They don't hurt them, and it's worth a try. But you know, even if it was a cuckoo business, I guess you could say the movies was most of the time a reflection of the American dream. Good always comes out on top in the end. The hero beat the villain to the draw at the showdown, and the heroine always got rescued in the nick of time. But never mind my joking, it's a good thing we had the movies in the 30s. When the Great Depression hit, reality caught up with everybody. But for a quarter a ticket, we could forget our troubles. For a little while, anyway. Up until now, we was a mighty cocky nation, seeing there was nothing we couldn't accomplish. We sure had enjoyed special blessings. But then along comes the depression, and we had to pocket our pride and look for work. Once I built a tower to the sun, brick and rivet and line. Once I built a tower, now it's done. There was one good thing about them hard times, though. They proved that we hadn't lost our courage. We buckled down and saw things through. And we held on to our liberty, too. But let me tell you, that ain't easy as it sounds, because liberty is not the same in practice as it is in speeches. It takes work to keep it. Yes, sir. We come through them hard times, but the American adventure didn't stop there. The dream and the reality would be tested time and time again. And as you all know, somehow, Americans have always met the challenge before them. Now it seems to me that in a lot of ways, things don't have to change very much. There's always going to be some bird complaining about how everything's going to the dogs, but that won't matter no more than it ever did, as long as we keep on trying. Well, Dr. Franklin, don't you know you've passed from the scene? Indeed, Mr. Rogers. So have you. Ah, Mr. Twain, what are you doing here? Well, I figure I'm as qualified as either of you gentlemen to speak about a world none of us live to see. Tell me, Doctor, what do you think now of your peaceable kingdom? What has happened to our American adventure? Has it turned from promises to problems? Look at the decaying cities, the overcrowded highways. Don't despair. We're an ingenious people. With our science and technology, we'll find a way to solve these problems, too. Well, now, I wouldn't depend on that too much. I've seen a lot of scientists in my day who knowed right to the minute when something was going to happen 10 million miles away. But none of them could tell you what day to put your heavy underwear on. 
Growing up in Missouri, we didn't have today's know-how, but we didn't have this fidgety, feverish modern world either. Your Missouri had slaves in it. Life sure was easier back in the old Indian territory. And your glorious West was filled with violent men. No, gentlemen, those good old days you speak of had their problems too. In my day, few men lived to my ripe old age. The world wasn't better then, merely different. But whenever we lacked the solution to our problems, we struggled to find a better way. And many times, then as now, we turned to foreign-born Americans for answers we needed. Well, I reckon you put your finger on it that time, Dr. Franklin. No nation's got a monopoly on right ideas. Every one of them has something the others could afford to adopt. Well said, Mr. Rogers. But I got something else to say, too. I'm still just a plain, ordinary cowpoke from the Aluga Reservation. But it appears to me that the American dream don't depend on one kind of folk alone. Everybody's got a hand in it. I guess nobody made this country but its people. And nobody could spoil it but its people. No one man can do it. And all the people together ain't going to do it. So it's going to run in spite of all the mistakes that can happen to it. So long as we keep our liberties intact. Funny thing about liberty, you get no more than you give. My friends, Americans of every generation, whether foreign-born or native to our land, have lived up to the promise of the American dream. I am confident that every generation of Americans which follows will do the same. This is not the end of the American adventure. It is merely a new beginning. There are still frontiers for Americans to cross. There is much more for us to do. In the words of Thomas Wolfe, a 20th century American writer, I think the discovery of America is before us. The fulfillment of the dream is yet to come. America has been settled by people of all nations. All nations may claim her for their own. We are not a narrow tribe of men. No, our blood is made up of many noble currents, all pouring into one. We are not a nation so much as a world. We are the pioneers of the world, the advance guard set through the wilderness of untried things to bring a new path. And our youth is our strength, and our inexperience, our wisdom. We hope you enjoyed the American Adventure. Now please gather your personal belongings and exit to your left through the doors in the back of the theater. Thank you, and we hope you enjoy the rest of your stay here at Epcot.
By the way, if you'd like to learn more about this particular show, Len, Aaron, and I just recorded a 90-minute long Bandcamp exclusive show that explains how the audio version of this early, early draft of the American Adventure script got pulled together. You'll hear some great behind-the-scenes stories, which is why you really need to listen to the show. Likewise, we have this whole series of Bandcamp exclusive presentations that do a deep dive on the Joseph Mankiewicz archives over at DisneyDocs.com. If you've ever wondered how Walt Disney World Science and Discovery theme park came together, these are some podcasts you definitely have to listen to. But again, those shows are only available to our Bandcamp subscribers. Thanks again to Ted Linhart for making this material uh, to me and Jim. If you'd like to learn more about the Joseph Mankiewicz Epcot archives, please head on over to DisneyDocs.com. Also, thanks to Miriam, our Disneyland cast member, who transcribed all of these scripts for us. She did an invaluable and great job on it. We'd also like to thank these folks at SoundworksVoices.com. Gary Silverman is the narrator. David Chattel is the statesman Ben Franklin. Peyton Clarkson is the young Ben Franklin. Jerry Powell is Mr. Mark Twain. Dennis Gould is the Pilgrim Father and the Town Crier. Wilma Haupt is Susan B. Anthony. And our own Aaron Adams played the cowboy Will Rogers. The show's audio engineer was Denny Gould, who was just amazing to work with when we recorded the voice parts. And our fabulous producer, Aaron Adams, put all of the voice, audio, music, and special effects together into a complete show. It is his best work ever. Thanks to Jessica Nolan at ASCAP for setting up our music licenses for the show. The pre-show music is Concerto in F by George Gershwin and performed by the Boston Pops. The first background music in Act 1 is Aaron Copeland's Lincoln Portrait, performed by the Cincinnati Pops Orchestra, Eric Kunzel, conducting. The vocal performance of Amazing Grace is by the Harlem Boys Choir. In Act 2, the song Johnny is Gone for a Soldier is performed by Leon Lishner and Friends. In Act 3, the song played during the Civil War is Marching Through Georgia by Jay Ungar and Molly Mason. And the song Roundup on the Prairie was written and performed by Aaron Kenny. In Act 4, A Pretty Girl is Like a Melody was written by Irving Berlin and sung by John Steele. The song Brother Can You Spare a Dime was written by Yip Harburg and Jay Gorney and performed by Abby Lincoln. In Act 5, the United States Air Force Marching Band performed the Battle Hymn of the Republic. And the show's unloaned music is Bright Mississippi by Thelonious Monk. Thanks again to everybody who subscribes to the show over at Disney Dish. Bandcamp.com. You guys made this show possible. That's going to do it for the Disney Dish show today. For Jim, this is Len. We'll see you on the next show.